Welcome to our podcast. It's called For the Love of the Game, presented by Horsebills.com. I'm Bob Ike, joined by Mark Dosh. We are the owners and partners of Horsebills.com, the premier equine accounting, billing, and payment platform. Mark, it's been a little while since we've been since we've done a podcast, we've had a real busy month with uh, year-end stuff and, and a lot of new accounts. So it's good to get back in the saddle with an interview with Andrew Lerner. Yeah, year-end tax prep has been uh, challenging and taking up some time as we fine-tune a lot of the functionality on the site, primarily for syndicates, which uh, is very complicated. Uh, a lot of the syndicates that operate do things manually, and we've built a solution to help that become a lot more efficient and as we go through it and actually do it in live time we are able to make the functionality even better so we've done a lot of work on that it was good to catch up with Andrew Lerner a very unique story of how he got into the position he's in now at at a very young age Uh, I think you'll enjoy listening to what he has to say and he after we spoke with him uh, last week he came back this weekend and had another big win with Oman first off the claim yesterday winning by uh, seven plus length. So uh, his future is bright. He loves the game. It seems like he has the potential to be very successful moving forward. And he's experienced success uh, at a pretty good level in, in a short start to his career about in, in the last year or so. Yeah, we sat down with him at his barn last week at Santa Anita. He's 29 years old, as you said, an interesting background and uh, a guy who's working hard to make it in a, in a tough game. So uh, we think you'll enjoy this interview. Sit back, enjoy, and then after Andrew, uh, we'll close out the show talking about some stuff from last weekend and also going forward a big weekend at Santa Anita. Enjoy the interview with Andrew Lerner on our podcast for the love of the game. We're here with trainer Andrew Lerner. I'm Bob Ike with my partner Mark Dosh. We're in Andrew Lerner's office here at Santa Anita. And uh, first of all, good morning, Andrew. And uh, you're sort of, uh, we call you now the, the media darling. Yeah. You're sort of the media <laughs> sensation, getting a lot of publicity. Uh, how's that feel? I don't know about that. It's, it's been good, though. We've, we've uh, I think, exceeded our expectations in the beginning. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. We assembled a good team. and. From where we've been two years ago to now, it's been a lot of fun just kind of seeing that progress and, and, and getting to this point. Give us a little background. You're 29 years old. Uh, I know you owned horses. And you got into it that way. You had those horses with Mike Pender. But give us your background. How does a 29-year-old uh, do well enough in business to, to start owning horses, first of all? Yeah, I mean, um, always loved the horse, the horse racing. Went to the races with my dad since I was four years old. Pretty much learned to drive, uh, going to Hollywood Park with my dad just saying, get in the car, and he read the form while I took him over to uh, Hollywood Park. I think I was more of a chauffeur than him learning, <laughs> teaching me how to drive, but always had that passion, and when I was 16, I ended up buying a little piece of a racehorse, um, 5% of a horse named Sonny Jones. Didn't do very well, but I had to work at Johnny Rockets just in order to pay for my 5%. <laughs> I think Bob has trained the horse. Uh, so that was kind of my first introduction into owning horses and then after that I went to school at Arizona State and I got a degree in commercial real estate and land development Um, and while I was there right when I graduated I contacted Billy and Gary Fenton with Little Red Feather and uh, got into a couple horses with them Unusual Beam and a horse named Lynn's Winds or Lindsay Winsy I think Trevor Denman used to call her Um, and did that for a little bit and then was working in real estate 
and then ended up starting a company with a good friend of mine, this childhood friend of mine, uh, kind of in the fantasy sports realm, and that was all kind of, you know, doing well. Um, and then was doing that full time, and that did well. And from there, I was able to buy some horses, and I would send them to Pender. And the only caveat was, hey, I want to learn to train. Right. Um, so that's kind of how I got started, and and then obviously ended up training. Did you have it in your mind all along that this is kind of what you wanted to happen as far as when you're owning horses that you want to be a trainer? Or did it kind of just, when did it come to your mind that that's kind of what you wanted to do when you came into all the money from selling the business? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I ever, I, I've always loved it and had a passion for it. I always thought maybe sometime in my future I could train, but I knew how difficult it was. I didn't know that much about it. I mean, being on the backside versus the front side is a whole different thing. But when I came here and kind of was able to own 100% of my horses and getting to train and seeing the process of it all, and uh, I just was so enamored with it and loved it that I said, you know, I'm, I'm doing this. And when I told Mike Pender, I said, hey, I want to do this, he said, okay, come out every morning at 4.30, I'll meet you here. And he thought I wasn't going to show up, and I was there every morning, and, and we did that. And I think he, then he realized, oh, he's serious, and, you know, now it's got to where it is now, and it's been such a fun process. But... It's a tough process, and training is a very difficult thing. Yeah. Way more difficult than I ever thought it would be. Did staying in business was not an option for you? You didn't like that world? I mean, it was not uh, romantic enough like the racetrack is? I mean, you were obviously doing well. The money was there. At uh, an early age. I mean, at an right. early age. So uh, it was kind of a risky jump, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a very risky jump. And I mean, in the beginning when I started, um, I knew no one was going to send me horses, and kind of my plan was just to train on my own, so I was buying all my own horses, um, but yeah, it was risky, but I wanted to do something that I loved, and I felt that I loved this more, and I feel like when you're passionate about something, it will eventually work out, so I knew it was going to take a while, and it has taken a little bit, and you know, when I first started here two years ago, or whenever I pulled my license, I remember walking to the track, clockers corner in the morning, no one even looked at me, no one knew who I was, I mean, I would, they'd stop me at the gate and say, who are you? Right. And I had to flash my trainer's license because they, you know, no one knew who I was, but that was to be expected, I mean, it's it's kind of a, you know, a respect thing. So, well, yeah, so you talk about that, you have all these Hall of Famers around here, and then you're the, the young new trainer, and you've kind of become buddies with some of the other younger guys, but how has that dynamic played out in just a trainer community with how you you're per, you perceive that you're viewed by the other guys? I mean, I think now it's different than I was before, but I kind of always equate it back to I, I used to box, and when you would go to a new gym and start at a new gym, they wouldn't even talk to you. They kind of they wouldn't really respect you until you got in the ring and got your butt kicked or you kicked someone's butt. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the same way here. You know, you walk in and you have to prove yourself um, and put yourself in the trenches and do it because if we are dealing with. Bob Baffert and Hollendorfer and Mandel, these are Hall of Fame trainers that every time I look in the program, my name's in there, I, I can't believe it. I still get the butterflies because these are guys that I grew up just going, holy cow, these are these are big time guys. So, But it's been you know one of those things where you just got to prove to everyone else that you can do it and that you belong here. And I think we had a really good Del Mar meet uh, this past summer, and I think that kind of really helped us gain a little bit more notoriety and say, oh, okay, he, he might know what he's doing. I think it's a great analogy what you said about getting in the ring and, and you know getting the respect whether you're getting your ass kicked or kicking ass. Uh -huh. Going back to just when you started with Pender a little bit, what were some of the things that were really eye-opening for you about the training game? I mean, you had seen it from the front side, the, the front side, but from, from the back side, um, you said it's harder than you expected. What, what are some of those things? Well, I think training, there's so many 
levels to it, which I didn't realize. You got to deal with the jocks, the jock agents, the owners, the the billing, the payments, the this, the that, and that's all stuff that hasn't even to do with the horse yet. And then you got to deal with the horses. You come in, and you know they always have something wrong with them, whether they kicked the wall or they did this or they got a fever or the, you know the, the wrong race came up or you're gonna you know there's just so many things that go into it that I think the average fan doesn't see that why I always uh, love when new owners or prospective owners come back here or fans want to just see the process of it all I mean we have our doors open all the time I know a lot of trainers don't want people coming during training hours but I love it because you know I just tell them hey we're gonna be busy but just watch what we do and you'll it's kind of eye-opening and I think being back there and seeing really how much goes into each and every horse is it's it's unbelievable and it's so much more gratifying when your horse wins when you know what goes into it just real quick on that topic uh it's in the news a lot right now we've had some breakdowns at this racetrack and of course the media gets involved with that and it gets sensationalized but how about the the passion trainers have for their horses um i i maintain that these are some of the best treated animals in the world. Uh, you compare it to a horse who might be out in the wild trying to fend for its life. We got horses here getting the best medication, the best veterinary care, daily exercise. Talk about maybe the misperception somebody might have of, hey, these trainers are just in it to run horses, make money. They don't care about the horse. Yeah, I mean, that couldn't be further from, from the truth. These, these animals are so well cared for, I mean, better than humans I, we have chiropractic people coming and masseuses and 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 all these things these spa treatments and salt treatments and i think again like the average fan or the the person who doesn't really understand horse racing they don't realize how and what goes into this and how well they're treated they you know the media does come out and they say they, they just kind of capitalize on these current events which are so tragic and to say that trainers don't care or you know, in any way, I mean, you know, n not responsible, but that we don't care and it's not a big deal. It's so ridiculous and asinine because we pour our, our, our life into this and our sweat and our tears and we see these horses more than we see our families um, and spend more time with them than our friends and we give up a lot to be with them. So I think it's, it's always kind of a ridiculous thing when you see these these people come at us and, and say those type of things. I just find it, it's, it's, it's insulting actually. You talk about how you learned under Pender for a while, showing up at the barn in the morning, but how have you kind of molded your training philosophy about how you train the horses and how have you basically learned to train the horses on your own aside from learning from others um, and, and also taking the test. Like, you know, it was like a four-month process to take the test. What goes into taking that test and studying it and what makes that so challenging? Yeah, it's fun. I mean, getting to know a lot of the other trainers and dealing with Mike and his grooms and his assistants and obviously the people I have here now and uh, I mean, another another role model and mentor I've had was Janine Sahadi. I mean, I talk to her three or four times a week and it's fun to compare and talk about what they did and what I do and kind of, like you said, mold into what, what we do here. So you kind of take a little bit of everything, but you kind of draw from your own experiences. And I think a lot of this game is your gut instinct, mm -hmm. and you kind of got to know your horses, and they're so individual. That's why being here early in the morning and understanding each and every one of them, um, you got to know some horses can run back quickly, some can't. There's no cookie-cutter you know, mold for all these horses. So um, it was fun. it's fun to see what other people do and kind of just draw from their experiences. And I look at the work tab all the time. I see what Baffert does and how fast he works back his horses, how fast Hollendorfer does. And... 
things like that. It's actually beneficial when you're a claiming trainer like I am right now because if I see a guy that normally works his horse back nine days after a race and he works him 18 days, you know there's something probably wrong. So it's good to study that kind of stuff. Um, for the trainer's test, it, it is a, it, I thought it was going to be a much easier process than it was, but I think being new to the track, they really wanted to make sure I knew what, what I was doing. And it was uh, took about five, six months to do a schedule it, schedule it all. The first one was, a, I think it was like a 120-question test on rules and regulations. The next one was a practical test with a steward, two stewards and a, and a trainer. And the third one was a, was a two-hour vet test with Dr. Grande here. So mm -hmm. it's, they don't just give licenses out. Just You don't just go and give them a $200 and here's your license. That's not how it works. So um, I was impressed, actually, about how diligent they are in screening people who want to become trainers. You did something uh, from a business perspective I thought was smart. At Del Mar, you started kind of a, a claiming stable, getting new people into the game, which this fractional ownership has become very popular. Uh, talk about that a little bit. You're a young guy who's not afraid to try some new ideas, but it seemed like that sort of moved you to another level as far as picking up some extra horses. Yeah, I definitely did. I, you know, we, I'm trying to do a little bit of more, some more novel ideas that kind of haven't been done before, and some of them will work, some of them won't work, and this one seemed like it worked. Um, it, we wanted to bring some new owners in, especially at Del Mar to claim some horses, and you know, what we said was they wouldn't have to pay any bills, so they paid a little bit more on top, but then they never got bombarded with bills, and they all love that, and you know, I think a lot of potential owners are deterred from racing because of how expensive it is and getting those monthly bills from the farrier, the vet, the trainer, the this, the that, the transport company. So to kind of consolidate that and make it easier and they realize, okay, this is what I'm paying and this is all I'm paying, um, I think was a little bit more exciting for some of these new owners. And we got about 16 or 17 brand new owners. That's awesome. And that absolutely now love the game and are out here all the time and will put more money back into the game and I think overall it's good for the sport and you know it helped when we got this horse drift away and came in and won right away but I mean it's got to be one of the most crowded winter circle throws <laughs> I've ever been a part of. Nothing like winning. No. T talk about that feeling you said you were a boxer as you, you look like you're fairly athletic. <laughs> we we <laughs> won't much. pile on too back, much. Back but, in the day. <laughs> yeah. but um, I played small college basketball eons ago uh, when I've owned horses or been a part of them, I felt like that feeling of walking from the paddock to the, from the time they go in the starting gate was the time before tip-offs. It's the closest correlation I could have to, uh -huh. to, to playing a sport. Do you feel the same way? And then the win, just the high of the win. Talk about that also. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always equate it to something like that, going into the ring and, and getting under those ropes and seeing your opponent or... Or even like gladiators who come out into the Coliseum and they're they're about to you know they're warriors. I mean these horses are warriors and they you know they love what they do and you know it's so hard to just get a horse in the starting gate, but to actually win a race and at a track like this when you're competing against Hall of Famers is is it's I mean you couldn't have a better feeling than that. The high is off. The oh, road. it's unbelievable, and the high is, is what makes us come back here because yeah. you know there's very few sports that you you fail, I mean, 80% of the time, and you're considered an all-star. If you're hitting that 20% as a trainer, you're probably a Hall of Fame trainer. Mm -hmm. um, so you, there's so much failure that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis that you really have to enjoy those wins, and that's what makes it so fun. And I think everyone here is so competitive 
which also makes it fun. This is a professional sport. We want right. to win, yeah. um, and, and I think that makes it a lot of fun as well. You're the demographic that the industry is looking for as far as you know, young people that are into sports and the fantasy that come into horse racing, and it's kind of the same, same kind of feeling, same kind of concept. What, what challenges do you see with you know, your friends outside of the game? You're, you're obviously an exception. Not only are you into the game, but you became a trainer, which is you know, not very common, but when you talk to your friends and people in your demographic, what are the, some of the pushback that they give you as far as getting involved and how are you trying to overcome that? I mean, the first thing I'd say is no one even realizes there's a racetrack here. Yeah. I bring friends here all the time and they get here and they absolutely love it. They go, holy cow, I didn't know this was 10 miles away from where I lived or 15 miles away. Right. You know, I think this is such an, an old-timer sport, which, is, which makes it great because it is. There's a, so much rich history in it. But I think we have to kind of um, reach out to the demographic, like, like a little bit younger demographic, because we need them to propel this sport and keep it going. Um, and I know we've done some marketing things and stuff like that, but I think that's been an issue. Just uh, no one's aware that what racing is. Just, and the, what ba it, just it, the basic marketing. Yeah, like the radio basic ads, ads, TV ads. Or whatever, anything. yeah, bringing them out here. Because once they get out here, they usually love it. Right. And um, I think it's just a matter of getting the people here, which I know is harder said, you know, easier said than done. But I think everyone I bring here, they're not even aware that they've never been to a race. And that this place is 15 miles away from where they live growing up. Because I grew up here. Yeah. You, yeah. You've had some success. You said when you first started walking around, nobody even knew who you were, and you get the feeling now that people kind of kind of know you, and you're starting to get some uh, other owners reaching out to you to, to send you business. How's that process been working out? How does that make you feel? It's fun. I mean, it's it's absolutely fun when you're winning and doing well. It's fun, but you just know how easily it can go the other way. So you kind of you, you get excited with it all, but you got to stay like level level headed and, and understand that. It's is going to be a roller coaster, so you just got to kind of have an even temperament. But it is fun when you go out here and jocks want to get on your horses and owners are calling and stopping by and want to see the operation and see what's going on. It's, it, it's a rewarding and gratifying feeling that we're doing something right. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Andrew Lerner, the up-and-coming 29-year-old trainer. He's going to make some noise in Southern California, Mark. But let's uh, we're into Triple Crown season now. Derby preps are in full swing. And uh, last weekend at Gulfstream, they had a huge card, and we saw the Fountain of Youth with Code of Honor snapping back to his best form. Yeah, he definitely bounced back after a subpar effort previously. Uh, got the win. And a lot of talk regarding the favorite hidden scroll. It's amazing when you see everyone who was saying that he was definitely a play against, uh, but he still went off, I think, at even money or right around there. Uh, I thought he ran a pretty good race, all things considered. Uh, got hooked up in a pretty fast speed duel with a 99 to 1 plus long shot. Um, wasn't quite sure the ride that he got from Joel Rosario, if, if Rosario was just going to the lead at all costs, or if he maybe could have uh, sat back off the leader, or if the horse just took him to the front. But anyway, he didn't really do himself any favors by pressing that hot pace, and he held on nicely enough to finish fourth. And then now after the race, everyone's talking about what a great race he ran, and how he's going to be definitely a bet back next time. So um, that being said, with, with that many people looking at the same thing, maybe he won't be such good value, but it'll be interesting to see where he shows up next and how he how he fares uh, next time around. Bourbon War, I thought, ran a good second. He was finishing nicely, so we'll follow those horses as they progress along the trail, probably pointing for the Florida Derby. But this week at Santa Anita, 
a huge Saturday card, Mark, the Big Cap, which is a race uh, over the years, historically one of the great races at Santa Anita, has lost some luster over the years. This year, uh, it looks like kind of a big two in there. McKenzie's the high weight, carrying 123 pounds. Gift Box, who was the winner of the San Antonio, to me, those look like the two principals in a race that doesn't look like it's going to draw a big field. Yeah, it's definitely disappointing uh, what looks to be shaping up for the field in the big cap, a, a two-horse race, likely a very short price. Uh, there's going to be a lot of races on the card, so hopefully the, the rest of the card fills in nicely and we can kind of overcome some of the setbacks that they've been facing throughout the meet um, due to one of the wettest and coldest winters that we can remember in Southern California. It's definitely caused havoc and a PR nightmare around the track with with the horse deaths and just short fields and struggling to find a rhythm to the meet. And the the, the bad weather uh, is going to continue again this week. Uh, we have three days of rain coming up and then uh, Thursday racing canceled, Friday races, 11, 11 race cards. So hopefully at some point in the near future, we can put this bad weather behind us and they can get back into a good rhythm and we can – get back to having um, solid racing, but uh, definitely the big cap uh, looks like it's going to be short on, on entrance and, and quality and the San Felipe as well is going to be short on entrance. I wouldn't say short on quality when you have two undefeated Baffert horses going, but again, uh, likely going to be a very short field and a very short price in the San Felipe as well. Yeah. You got game winner, the two-year-old champion from last year, improbable undefeated showed a ton of ability. So uh, kind of interesting that Baffert's going to hook them up this early in the year. He generally likes to keep his horses separated. They're both undefeated. They both have a ton of talent. So uh, you're right, probably not going to be a, much of a big field there, but we at least we'll see uh, two quality horses. I think you made a good point, and the word rhythm is, is really what Santa Anita has not been able to establish uh, this meet so far two months in just have not been able to get a rhythm going, and, and the weather has played havoc. Uh, Mark, one other big horse uh turning three instagram who was so impressive uh, in his two starts last year winning both of them by over 10 lengths he's going to make his seasonal debut at aqueduct in the gotham so uh for jerry jerry hollendorfer and their connections looking forward to seeing him that's on saturday as well yeah we talked to dan ward uh, jerry's assistant and he was uh, a couple weeks ago he was excited about getting the opportunity to 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 beat the baffert horses but i guess they figured that maybe the, the path of least resistance for now was to go to the Gotham and uh, hopefully get Instagram a confidence building win off, off the layoff to start his three-year-old campaign going a mile, uh, maybe, you know, one turn a mile, a little bit of a shorter distance off such a long layoff uh, is probably a good decision. So uh, hopefully he can uh, hold up his end of the deal there. And then uh, when we come circle back in a month for the Sanding the Derby, we can get all the main principles together and, and see what happens in the final prep before the, the big dance uh, the first Saturday in May. So we'll look forward to a big weekend here at Santa Anita. We'll, of course, track the Gotham and uh, we'll continue on watching these Derby preps and uh, we'll get on a more regular rhythm as well, Mark. We're done with a lot of our heavy lifting towards the end of the year, so we'll try to get these podcasts out every two weeks now and, and uh, get our rhythm back as well. So hope you've enjoyed. We had Andrew Lerner as our guest. The podcast is called For the Love of the Game, and we'll be back in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening.